Last Sunday, we began to consider Paul's teaching on the gifts of the Spirit that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So let's return there this morning. We'll continue to consider Paul's teaching on what have come to be known in this 12th chapter as the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll begin at verse 1 and we'll read through verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, or in other words, spirituals, things that belong to the Spirit, things that come from the Spirit. Concerning these things, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So whoever calls upon the name of Jesus, the only way they can do that is by the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, verse 4, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. That's an important verse in understanding how and why the Holy Spirit works. For to one is given the word of wisdom. Here now we have Paul giving a list of examples of these kinds of gifts. Now he lists specific nine gifts that we will consider, uh, but this is just an, an example. We, we looked at some other gifts of the Holy Spirit that aren't in this list that are just as much from the Holy Spirit. But let's consider these nine specific gifts as we have time. We won't get through all of them this morning. But for one, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all of these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So this passage is in our Bible. What are we going to do with it? There are some things in here that are just well, they're kind of supernatural and they're mysterious and, and well, some of them are just weird. What, what are we going to do, do with it? It's here. It's part of the Bible. It's inspired by the Word of God. We need to understand what this is all about. Why did Paul mention these things and why were they clearly at work in the early church? And are they still at work among God's people today? Those are some of the questions we want to consider as we continue this study. We found out last week that these gifts were at work in the local assembly at Corinth. And as Paul teaches the Corinthians, it, it is truly something he says was common among God's people and should be common among God's people in his day. And so let's, let's uh, consider whether that is, was to continue or not. There are many gifts of the Holy Spirit, not just these nine, but all of them are given for the profit of God's people. 
for all of God's people. It's not to promote yourself. And that's exactly what was going on in Corinth. They were using these gifts, exercising them in order to promote themselves. I'm superior to you because my gift is superior. And therefore, whenever that takes place, there's confusion, there's chaos, there's division among God's people. And that's exactly what was happening in the assembly at Corinth. These gifts are for the corporate good, and they are manifested in the local assembly. Again, one of the reasons that we should gather together as a group is to give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to minister to us not only individually, but corporately. And this is what we see in these gifts here in 1 Corinthians 12. The Holy Spirit never contradicts himself. This is a a good, solid foundation to stand upon. The Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. And so the Holy Spirit will never lead an individual to do something that contradicts the Bible or to say something that contradicts the Bible. just won't happen. The Holy Spirit does not contradict himself. So that also holds true for these public corporate gifts, that the Holy Spirit will never say something in prophecy, tongues and interpretation, or in any other way to contradict what he's already revealed to be true in the Word of God. And so that's a a good standard that we can use to kind of judge. As Paul tells us, we should judge these things, whether they are of God or not, whether they really are of the Holy Spirit or not. And so the Holy Spirit never contradicts himself. And if there's a contradiction between the Bible and some manifestation of what someone declares is a gift of the Holy Spirit, then we know that that person's a liar. It, it, it really is that simple. If it contradicts the Bible, it's not of God. I don't know how many times I've had individuals come into the church and say, I've got a prophecy for you. And, All right, give it to me. And it was a complete contradiction to two things, the Word of God and to God's leading. They usually had something to say, you need to do this in your church. You need to do this. You need to do that. Well, I'd already had direction from the Lord that that's not the right word to go. And so I knew immediately that prophecy was false, and I did not accept it because it contradicted the Word of God, and it contradicted his personal leading in my life. So these are some of the the standards by which we can judge whether these gifts are true, whether they are being exercised in a way that truly emanates from the Holy Spirit. Whenever men try to use these gifts to promote themselves, which happens often, there's going to be confusion. There's going to be division. There's going to be chaos. 1 Corinthians 14, turn there if you will, so that we understand what is said here by Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So this this is a standard that Paul is setting for all local assemblies in this church age. God wants order. And in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, jump down to verse 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. There are many charismatics and Pentecostals who say that they're, you're just too organized. Well, there's a difference between being organized and being in order. And God wants all things to be done decently and in order. Now, Paul's tone here in these chapters, 12, 13, and 14 to 1 Corinthians, they are clearly, his tone is clearly one of correction. We, we don't argue with that. But 
Because of that, some of our fundamentalist brethren interpret that to mean that these gifts being exercised in the local assembly was negative, that it shouldn't happen. Well, that doesn't hold true in the context of Paul's words. He talks about these things as from the Spirit, spirituals pertaining to and emanating from the Holy Spirit. So clearly Paul is not saying, hey, don't do this stuff. He's saying it is only to be done decently and in order. In fact, he'll give some instructions on how that decent order should look like later on in in these chapters. He acknowledges these gifts as being from the Holy Spirit and therefore should not be denied. James chapter 1 and verse 17. James chapter 1 verse 17. Turn there if you would. James 1 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So clearly, these gifts come from the triune God, ministered directly by the Holy Spirit as he wills. Now, because some of these gifts are meant, that are mentioned here are so miraculous and mysterious, miracles, healings that can't be explained, the, the speaking in tongues, that's just weird. Why is that necessary? It's such a stumbling block for so many. And I don't understand why other than that the Holy Spirit wants us to understand his presence is with us. And this is one of the ways that he can manifest himself to demonstrate that to us. But because these, some of these gifts are so miraculous and so mysterious, many fundamentalists have said that they are no longer for the church today, that they've been done away with. Now, in our study, I have been honest about us charismatics, Pentecostals. I've always considered myself a Pentecostal. And I've been very honest and frank about the errors that many Pentecostals and charismatics have demonstrated in dealing with these gifts of the Holy Spirit. But now I want to be just as clear and just as honest and just as frank about the errors of the fundamentalists when they try to deal with these things. And so let's see what the Scripture says about their approach to this. They say that these gifts have been done away with after the apostles died and after the New Testament had been completed, that there was no longer a need for these nine gifts. That, that's the statement that they come up with to, to, because it's in their Bible and they know they can't just tear it out because they believe the Bible is God's word. So they can't just tear it out. So this is how they deal with it. Yes, that was good in that day. That was necessary in that day, but we don't need it today. That, that's their only way that they deal with this passage. The Bible has been completed, the New Testament, which we agree with that statement. The Apostle Paul was given the full revelation of the will of God for this church age. It's complete. We agree with that statement. What we disagree with is the apostles died. The Holy Spirit didn't. That the Bible being completed doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit's quit working and that he's retired some of the ways in which he manifests himself. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. This is the only passage, and I mean it's the only passage, that the fundamentalists use to say that the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit are no longer working today among God's people. They've been done away with. 
the Holy Spirit retired them when the New Testament was completed. This is the only passage that they point to. So let's read 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. They'll, they'll cease. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Pretty clear statement. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, Paul says. But when that which is perfect has come. Now, the fundamentalists say that perfect thing is the completed New Testament. That's how they interpret it. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as, as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, in this life, now we see in a mirror dimly. In Paul's day, a mirror was a brass, a shiny brass piece that was you couldn't see yourself clearly. You could see a good reflection, but it's not like our mirrors today where you can see every blemish, every spot. And so looking in a mirror, it's good, but it's not a perfect image. So now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. That's different. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. Perfect knowledge. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three but the greatest of these is love. So this is the passage that many use to say the gifts have been done away with. That perfect thing is the completed word of God. It's perfect. Yes, we agree that it is perfect. We agree that it's, that it's completed. But that's not the perfect thing that's being referenced here. It doesn't hold up in the context of Paul's statement here. Paul is stressing in this passage, you can't take it out of context, Paul, in this passage, is stressing that love is to be the essential, prominent element of our Christian walk. Everything we do, personally, privately, corporately, should be motivated by love. That is, seeking what's going to bring God glory and what's going to be in the eternal best interest of those around us. Everything we do is to be motivated by love. It will be the thing that lasts through eternity. In eternity, in heaven, we're just going to begin to know the love of God in a greater measure. He's not going to quit loving us. Some of the gifts of the Spirit that are good and useful right now in this life, we're not going to need them in heaven. I'm not going to need someone to prophesy in heaven. I will know as I am known. I will have that perfect knowledge that God gives me in that glorified body. And so I'm not going to need tongues and interpretation. I'm not going to need faith in heaven. And faith is important now, right? I'm not going to need faith in heaven. There's Jesus. We're going to worship him around the throne. I don't need faith. He's right there. Some of these things are going to pass away that we need so desperately now in this life. Love never will. That's his point. That's his whole emphasis in this passage. And if you're going to interpret this passage to say, well, tongues and prophecy are now done away with because it said so, because it said it would cease, right? But when? When will they cease? If tongues and interpretation, if we understand this means the perfect thing is when the Bible was complete, the New Testament, tongues and, and interpretation, prophecy, they're done away with. Okay. But it also said knowledge, didn't it? 
knowledge would be done away with. Are we done learning? Are we done with knowledge? No, it's not done away with. We're, ju- we're just getting started. And so in the context, that, that interpretation doesn't make any sense whatsoever. That perfect thing, let's go to Ephesians 4, verse 13. That which is perfect is a reference to our future state of eternal perfection at the coming of the Lord. When that perfect thing comes, I'm not going to need prophecy. I'm not going to need faith. I'm not going to need these things. I'm not going to need hope. (laughs) Once hope has been realized, you don't need hope anymore. There it is. So those things will pass away, but not until Jesus comes. Not until I receive my glorified body. Not until we see what Paul speaks of in Ephesians 4.13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, perfect, there's that perfect thing, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul, in the, in the passage there in Corinthians that we read, he uses the analogy of the difference between the knowledge of a child and the knowledge of an adult. That's the, the contrast he's trying to make to what we know now about God and his ways and what we will know then. A child knows some things, but doesn't have the knowledge that a full-grown adult has with all of his experience and education and all the things that go with becoming an adult. And so Paul says that's how vast the difference is. Even the most spiritual among us right now who have a knowledge of God and his will, when you get in heaven, that knowledge is going to look like a, like a child. You thought you knew a lot, and you did, but there's so much more to know about God, about Jesus. When we enter into that perfect man, that perfect stage, that perfect condition in heaven. That's the perfect thing, that when that takes place, all of these gifts are not going to be necessary, so they pass away. They cease. In the context of Paul's teaching, that's the only way that can be interpreted in a way that makes sense, to try to justify, to come up with a position. Well, I don't like miracle. You know, I, I... then speaking in tongues, I don't like it. So I've got to find a way to say that that's not what the Bible says. If you start out with a position and then try to find scriptures to justify it, you're already going the wrong way. You start with the Bible. And even when you don't fully understand it, say, Lord, I don't understand this, but give me wisdom and direction. I want to know all that you want me to know in this life. Full knowledge is coming when I get on that other side, but right now I want to know everything you want me to know. Until Jesus comes, we're going to need all the help from the Holy Spirit that we can get. Whatever gift he decides we need personally, corporately, I want to be receptive to any of it. Because saints, I need the Lord. I need the Holy Spirit. I can't live this life in my own power, my own strength, and my own wisdom, and neither can you. We need the Holy Spirit, and we need to be open to it any and every way that he has for us. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12 again, and we'll read verses through 7 through 11. Well, uh, we won't read it. If you want to look at it there, we'll, continue, we'll, we'll begin this list. Again, we probably won't get very far this morning, but we'll begin to look at this list. Actually, we'll probably just look at one this morning. When you look over that passage there in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11, notice the emphasis of the passage. The Spirit gives a diversity of gifts, but He is the source of all of them. All of these are supernatural 
They're not personal traits or abilities. They're not things that you learn. These are gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. You cannot learn these things. This is one of the errors of the Pentecostal charismatic movement. And one example is the vineyard. They have classes on how to prophesy. They will teach you how to prophesy. Well, I'm sorry. It's the Holy Spirit that gives these gifts. You can't learn them. You can't be taught them. He either gives it to you or he doesn't. Some of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us, we all have in common just by being children of God. We all are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We all possess eternal life and the promise of a home in heaven. All of those gifts are ours. We know that the, the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to every child of God with the evidence of speaking in tongues. We'll consider the difference between the evidence of tongues and the gift of speaking in tongues. But some of those things all of us hold in common. But Paul makes it clear that not everyone has all of these gifts. And specifically, not everyone has these nine gifts operating in their life. Nor does Paul say they should. And so that's something that we need, need to consider. Some experiences we have in common, others we do not. Others are individually given, but all for the profit of the whole body of Christ. Wisdom is the first one listed here. And so let's consider what the gift of wisdom is. This is a special endowment, a special ability to give wise instruction concerning a certain course of action based on knowing what the will of God is. All of God's people need to be wise. That's true of everyone. We need to walk in wisdom. We need to be characterized by wisdom. But this is something different. This is a specific thing. It's the gift of wisdom either for something in your life or for, in this case, the corporate good. An example of that, and, and as we go through the list, we'll, we'll look at examples that we find in Scripture. So let's go to Acts 15 for this example of a word of wisdom, making the right decision based on a knowledge of what the will of God is, not a guess about what the will of God is, but knowing what it is. And this, of course, is something that is to know the will of God. This is something that is revealed that is not revealed specifically in Scripture. All of us are to be wise because we accept the Word of God for what it is, and we know that's the revealed will of God. That's wisdom. So, yes, that's true. That's the will of God. I know because the Bible says so. I'm wise when I walk according to that. But this is something that's not revealed in the Bible. What should we do? What direction do we go? What decision should be made? A word of wisdom. The Holy Spirit can give that instruction, as he did here in Acts 15, where James has a word of wisdom. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to you. This is a meeting of the, the early church leaders. The question was, these Gentiles are accepting Jesus as their Savior. What do we do about that? How do we handle that? Do we make them get circumcised first? Because some people say they've got to be circumcised before they can really be saved. Do we make them keep the law of Moses? What do we do? What direction do we go? This was the early church, so there were some things that weren't clear yet. But that we write to them to abstain from these things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses 
has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So these Gentiles would not offend their Jewish uh, neighbors. This word of wisdom was given to, to James that this is what should be done. And then back, jump down to verse 28 and 29, Acts fifteen twenty-eight. For it seemed good to whom? The Holy Spirit. And to us, to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. James just got up and said these things. It was the gift of wisdom. This was the will of God. This was the Holy Spirit giving that wisdom for that specific time and that specific situation and that specific decision. We still need that gift today, don't we? We need the gift of wisdom that comes only from the Holy Spirit. And so this, this is just one of the many gifts that we should pray should be in operation, not only among the church leaders, especially among the church leaders for this assembly. Pray for God's leaders. Pray for me as your pastor that there would be a word of wisdom when it's necessary for the glory of God and for the good of God's people. James at the council meeting in Jerusalem, he did not put any further burden on the Gentiles because that was not the will of God. Well, I think we'll probably stop there this morning. All right, well, let's have a song in closing. Let's stand as we sing. <laughs>